This is Academes, a podcast about women in academia, living the dream, or are we? it's Whitney. I'm excited to bring you this interview with Dr. Constance Lindsay. When Dr. Lindsay and I talked earlier in the year, she was a research associate at the Urban Institute, a think tank in Washington, D.C. Since then, Dr. Lindsay has transitioned to an assistant professor position at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill School of Education. Dr. Lindsay is joyful, whip smart, and doing work that's having big effects on public policy. We hope you enjoy this interview. So uh, I'm Constance Lindsay. I am a research associate in the Center on Education and Data Policy at the Urban Institute, which is a think tank in Washington, D.C. And you're actually not supposed to say think tank. You're supposed to say research organization, uh, but it's a think tank. So Think tank sounds better. <laughs> right, right. Sounds more glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so what kind of work do you do? What do you study? Sure. So um, a lot of my work. Um, up until this point has been around thinking about race in education, how teacher race matters, how student race matters, things along those lines. And then, you know, we have other projects that are just like, you know, maybe a foundation was interested in a particular question and they asked us to answer it. Or, you know, there's a policy that someone's interested in changing and they want some analyses around sort of like what would happen if they changed it. Um, So lots of variety in the kind of stuff that we do. So would you say that you're like an alt-ac, you're in an alternative academic career right now? Well, I don't know. I wouldn't call it alt-ac as so much as it's, it's a hybrid, I guess. Yeah. So you said you had a windy career. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell me about <laughs> yeah. it? So I did my um, bachelor's in econ at Duke and um, was totally on the track of going to do like uh, consulting or, you know, one of those kinds of, th- whatever people with econ degrees from Duke go do. And, um, <laughs> had the opportunity my junior year to take a class with a black economist, Sandy Darity, uh, who actually used oh. to be at, he was split his time between UNC and Duke, but super amazing. Um, yeah. and I was like, oh, you can do this with a, a econ degree. And then that kind of like opened my, um, my thinking up in terms of like what you could do with it. Um, what kinds of career paths you could do. I had actually never even heard of the field public policy, to be honest, even though, you know, Duke has a whole public policy school. Um, So I was like, oh, this is a field that I'm really interested in. And so um, from then on, I kind of filled out the rest of my econ major with classes that were cross-listed with the public policy school. So from there, went to do my um, MPP at Georgetown. So came back home for Mm -hmm. a little bit. And... After that, did a presidential management fellowship at the U.S. Department of Education. So that's basically a program that seeks to bring professionals into the government. And they take it's all sort of graduate level folks. So it could be law degree, master's degree, um, Ph.D. And basically you go through this like application process and you work sort of on a um, accelerated track at any of the cabinet agencies. So that would be places like Department Mm -hmm. of Ed, Department of Labor, et cetera. So I was a Department of Ed. Um, So you started out in in econ. And what about Sandy Darity's work or teaching made you kind of move in a different direction? That's a good question. So so I'm I'm still sort of in econ, right? So I use econometrics Mm -hmm. to answer questions, right? But what was so cool about Professor Darity... um, well, one is just sort of like the role model effect, right? Like I had not met any, yeah. I had not had any black um, economics professors up until that point. And then also the questions that he asked, right? So if you get a, if anybody, if you're listening to this and you get a chance to sort of look up his work, he's very famous now for his work around like baby bonds and reparations, things mm-hmm. along those lines. But the class that I took, for him, took from him was called um, Racial and Ethnic Economic Disparity. And this is basically where he sort of takes you around the world looking at using economics to look at the different ways in which groups around the world have been sort of subjugated. And so it was such mm. a good class, very fascinating. And he would bring in like his famous friends to like come talk to us and stuff. <laughs> um, 
So I was like, okay, I can, I can do this. I can do this policy thing. This is really cool. Um, yeah, so it was really sort of the questions that he asked because my other classes, yeah. they were not asking interesting questions <laughs> in micro <laughs> and macro and um, yeah, industrial organization, no. Not interesting questions. When you started out and you were like, I'll get an econ um, degree at Duke, mm-hmm. I'll go into consulting. Did you think about your career as just like, I need a way to support myself. I want to have That's a, a nice question. lifestyle. Or were you already thinking more about like doing something more lofty or like research? Or how were you thinking about it? <laughs> no, research was never on my radar as an undergrad um, until until later. Um, I just, I was doing like the Duke thing. Like you go there and either you yeah. go to business school, you go to law school, or you go to medical school. So I was like, well, I'll go to business school. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I flirted with the idea of law school for a little bit, but I was like, that's not me. Um, so I was very much going to mm-hmm. like, just go do the corporate thing. Yeah. Okay. So then you get sidetracked and you're like, I'm going to get a master's in public right. policy. <laughs> right. I'm going to work in the and government. Here we are. <laughs> So yeah, I'm going to change the world. Right. Were you like an I'm going to change the world kind of person? I, I did. Well, so the way that Georgetown described their MPP at the time was an MBA for do-gooders. So I was like, oh, this is perfect. <laughs> and, you know, with public policy programs, they actually require that you have sort of econ classes as a prereq. So for uh-huh. that kind of thing, I was like a shoe in um, I should go back a little bit, though. The summer after my junior year, I did a program called PPIA which uh, basically is designed to expose students of color to public policy and international affairs. So I spent a summer at the University of Michigan. And basically what they do over the course of the summer is they simulate what what will be the first semester of your MPP. So you take uh, you take an econ class, you take a calculus class, you take, you know, like a comparative politics class. And then we might have wrote like a short paper or something. Um, But that also really sort of opened up um, my eyes to sort of, oh, like there are these professors that do these really cool work, do all this cool work. Um, This is a whole field you can be in. Uh, So that was pretty cool as well. Awesome. Okay. So you're like a budding kind of professional do-gooder. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go to Georgetown. Yes, go to Georgetown. Well, Georgetown, what you expected? It was. It now? was. It actually, I mean, I hate to even say this, but it was actually kind of easy for me. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. So MPP degrees, it's usually like you take two or three econ classes, two or three quantitative methods classes, which are mostly like econometrics. And then you do things like um, policy process. I took an ed policy class. I took a survey research methods class. Um, You know, just it's it's basically training you to be like an analyst somewhere. Right. So you could come Uh to a place like, you know, where I am now and sort of work under a PI. You can go work for a federal agency and do like program evaluation kind of work. Um, so that's basically what it's training you to do. Or, you know, folks go work on the Hill, things like that. Okay. And so you thought you wanted to go into government maybe? So from there, that's a good question. From there I did. So I, I did the, the PMF program um, and ended up at the federal department of education and very quickly realized that that was not um, the place for me. Um, so among many things this is when it was switching over from um, Bush 1 to Bush 2 so I thought the president was going to change the president did not change Yeah, so it was Office of Vocational Adult Education and so it was folks who had been doing that in their states for many many years and they would come to this office and sort of like run programs and then retire and so it just like I was 24 Mm -hmm. when all this happened and I it just wasn't a good fit and the people who were doing all the stuff in the department that I saw myself doing like the people who ran and analyzed surveys, the people who wrote the reports, the people who sunk their teeth into data all had PhDs. So I was like, well, let me go back to school and get this PhD. Um, So yeah, so then that's how I I was thinking about PhDs. And then I was thinking about, all right, should I just do a straight up econ PhD? Should I do a straight up public policy PhD? Like, what am I going to do? So in the middle of all this, I had my advisor from Georgetown. I, I was her research assistant. Um, was like, well, you should think about. She's like, you know, you can apply to all the econ programs, the, the public policy programs. But she was like, you should think about this program at Northwestern, 
Um, it's it's so my doctor is actually in human development and social policy, which doesn't really mean anything to anyone. She's like, you should think about this particular program because they have really good people. It's really good training. Um, and it's like it's the type of program that people in the field know what it is. Um, yeah. So I applied. And um, so while I was working at the Department of Ed, I was been like big chunks of my day applying for PhD programs, which is terrible, but <laughs> whatever. They can't, they can't get me now. Um, so, so yeah, so I applied, I got, I was, I ended up choosing between, um, there and the public policy program at Cornell and I got in. So Northwestern, it was like, they had this like fellowship that was sponsored by IES, which is like the Institute of Education Sciences. So probably similar to like NIH, um, style or NSF style, uh, fellowships. So yeah, so got in there and then, um, yeah, so. Got into the PhD program, ended up getting the IES fellowship. Uh, my advisor was an economist um, who studied education policies and, you know, had some some crazy times in my PhD program, but then, you know, finished it and um, <laughs> I mean, have that's been a lot to pay for, right. but it's a yeah, lot of yada yada. Yeah. yada. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> well, I don't know. Do, do, do you talk about grad school? In the podcast? Maybe. I think a lot of students listen. Okay. So okay. Well, I mean, I could keep it sage real. wisdom to share. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. So, got into, so, okay. So, started off at Northwestern. I was kind of young um, for that particular program because that particular program usually yeah. takes folks who have been out of undergrad for a few years. Um, they assign you to an advisor your first year. Um, the person they assigned me to uh, was a lunatic. Like, a, it's like a well known, <laughs> documented, fact he's actually not there anymore um he was a um serial abuser of students in very like insidious ways and Uh. at the time i did not have the emotional maturity i think to be like this is crazy you know it was just like i received it because of the power differential so that kind of put me on a um well, it's just not how you want to start off like your doctoral program, right? But anyway, so I was able to get out from under his thumb um, and work for this. You real like, did you realize it consciously or you're like, eh, let me just shift because this doesn't feel right? No, it was a very conscious process because I was like, okay, one, um, since I came in with that quantitative background, I wanted to work for an advisor that was going to continue to sharpen that. And so this was an interdisciplinary mm-hmm. program. And so you, you very much, p- folks were very much take on the identity of their advisor. So on the faculty, yeah. they had economists, they had, you know, psych- psychologists. So then you would be like a psychometrician kind of, and they also had like sociologists. So kind of depending on who your mm-hmm. advisor was, you would shape, you would have your core classes for sure, but then you would shape yourself like around at the time, most of them were he's where he sort of, you know, the mm-hmm. world that he was in. And I saw myself much yeah. more being, much more being, uh, on the the econ side of things and I wanted to sort of keep that training I'd actually I was actually my first year I took a class in um over in the economics department I took labor economics mm-hmm. um and this guy was a like a clinical psychologist I don't even know why they put me with him in the first place he would do things like I'll give you some examples so I had mm-hmm. a a buddy who was a third year um and um she was like 35 or something at the time. And she was just like a busybody in terms of like, I would tell her things as like my buddy. And then everybody yeah. would like know the thing that I told her. Right. And so, you know, as I'm, mm. I'm now post 35 myself, like I can't imagine <laughs> like interacting with somebody that young in this way. It was very insidious. Yeah. And I didn't, like I said, I didn't have the emotional maturity to navigate these things. But one of the things that. This so, is a total side thing but yeah. i've been listening to this podcast slow burn and they talk about linda tripp and monica Lewinsky. it's the same so thing well, it's not that bad it's not that bad it's not that bad but it also is like kind of like she, she was presenting as my friend and i took it seriously yeah. that she was my buddy but you know yeah and whatever but um so like for example i would say i had a i had a boyfriend who lived back in dc at the time and i would say things mm-hmm. like oh, I miss my boyfriend or, oh, I went to visit my boyfriend this weekend. And then the next time I would meet with my advisor, he would be like, oh, you weren't studying. You went to visit your boyfriend. And I was serious. So at first, at first I was so naive. At first I was like, well, how did, how did, um, well, I'm not going to say his name. How did X know that I was off visiting my boyfriend? And then it finally occurred to me, I was like, I have a freaking mole. 
So that was crazy. This is crazy. It's very crazy. So what happens is I get a, um, a fellowship and with the fellowship, like your, your tuition is paid, you get a stipend. And yeah. so I was like, this is a perfect opportunity because he will not be paying mm-hmm. me. You know, I had that. Yeah. So the person I ended up moving, moving on to was teaching us like a methods class. And he was like, oh, you, you know, you should come work for me. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. I can get out of this. And so it was a little bit of a, a extrication process, but I was able to sort of move mm-hmm. on to this. Um, what ends up happening is go work for him. It's great. It's a wonderful lab. I'm still friends with like all those people to this day. But then he leaves the end of my third year. He got poached. So um, our options were pretty much stay and find somebody else to work with or leave and go with him. And I was like, I don't, I'm not going to transfer. He he went to UC Irvine. So I was like, I'm not going to transfer from Northwestern to UC Irvine. That's a lot. Um, Yeah. And so we ended up getting, they ended up replacing him with another economist who I then ended up finishing, finishing with. Um, but it was, it was pretty, you you had like three advisors. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty jarring. Um, all those transitions. And I really could have hung out another year probably and got some more publications out. But by the end of it, I was like, y'all are crazy. Um, (laughs) you know, I also, I also had a crazy run in with, um, there was a, a a black guy on the faculty. I'm black. If you don't know, um, a black guy on the (laughs) faculty who was on my committee, who was also like a little crazy town, who was also not there anymore. And they, I don't even know where he is, but you know, like he, he wouldn't, um, I remember I had this like second year paper that had to get signed so that I could move on to candidacy and like, he wouldn't sign it. He wouldn't read it. And so like one day I saw him on the street and I was like, you need to sign this. Like I have to move on to candidacy. Cause like, I need, I need to move on. And so I like literally rolled up and rolled on, rolled up on him in the street. And so then he like finally reads it. And it's obvious that he has not read any drafts. Right. And so he sends me this thing back and he's like, Oh, this is the worst paper I've ever read in the history of the program. And I was like, are you serious? Yeah. So I'm like, okay, you playing games. So I went to, it's funny that day I was actually, um, I was teaching undergrads, like how to be good RAs, ironically, how to be good RAs for the summer. I was teaching them SBSS. (laughs) So I was like, you know what? We're going to end this early. And I literally had to like pack up all my stuff and go like over there and talk to them. I will say I did, they did invite me back to visit. Um, a few months ago to give a talk to the students because I have not been back. I didn't go to my graduation. I didn't go to my graduation. I was like, I'm so over. You didn't do hooding or anything? I did not. I, I, the first time I wore a hood was when I was teaching at American University here. I did not go to my graduation. Wow. I went to Spain instead with my friends because um, I was over it. I was completely over it. But I went back. <laughs> they, they flew me out. They paid me to come talk to the students for the day. And um, they, they've changed the culture a lot. Because I think like okay. these younger, That's good the, to know. it's good to know, but the, I think these younger kids, they don't tolerate things the way that we tolerated no. things. And um, so my old advisor is the new dean. I was one of the first people he finished or he graduated. So I think he saw some crazy things that happened with me that he then sought to change. Mm-hmm. So like the, the you know, this my, is the third advisor or the, the third second advisor, one who left? The, the third advisor. Okay. Yeah. So he, um, yeah. you know, the, the, the crazy first year advisor is not there anymore. The um yeah. the other guy who told me it was the worst paper in the history of all time is not there anymore. <laughs> we want to hear from you. What do you think of this episode? Tell us about your experience as an academe. You can reach us on Twitter at Academes Podcast, by email at academespodcast at gmail.com, or please leave us a voicemail at 919-666-7301. And if you like what you hear, rate us on your favorite podcast app. It'll help people find us. Um, yeah. So anyway, so leave there. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I could. I mean, yeah, we can't even. It would take forever right. to talk about crazy people. Right. Right. And um, it, but, but it's important so- to know, though, because I think like at the time I attributed a lot mm-hmm. of their craziness to my like you know, maybe I wasn't cut out for it or, you know, maybe, and that's completely false. It's not true. It was, you know, fundamental attribution error. But, but as you know, if I was Mm -hmm. a little bit older, I I might've been able to sort of put it in a, in a more proper place, but I wasn't really able to do that at the time. So towards the end, I was like, I am impressed by how you responded to that comment about it being the worst paper. Like a lot of people, even though that is totally crazy. Yeah. 
they would feel crushed by it. But it sounds like you immediately were like, this is BS. Well, well, so the thing in that case was another faculty member had already signed off on it. So you're not yeah. you're not really just insulting me. You insulting him. So, yeah, this is ridiculous. Like, I, I, whatever. And also, yeah. um, I was determined that he was going to sign it. Because, <laughs> <So laughs> <laughs> you know, like you get towards the end of the, the Ph.D. and you're like, I'm not I'm not staying around here. So that's kind of what happened. So then towards the end, I was like, look, my lease is up in June. Um, I'm pack- I don't even have a job. I'm packing up all my things and I'm leaving. And my advisor was like, well, where are you going to go? And I was like, it doesn't matter where I'm going to go. I'm leaving. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> so like I could have hung around okay, for another is, year. Yeah. But yes. I was like, I'm, I'm out of here. I know this is a digression too. Yeah. So you like in class, you go to his office. Is he there? Oh, 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 uh, the crazy guy. Um, he was yeah. not there. This is actually how I know that Jesus is real because <laughs> he blocked it. He blocked it because I was really going to go off. Like I, I like, yeah. I, and you know, like I had packed up, I had like all these bags. Cause I was like, you know, I had like my laptop and then I was working with the, the undergrads in like this, this lab in the library. And then, you know, like, you know, when you're like a fourth or fifth year PhD student, you just carry around a bunch of papers that don't mean yes. anything. Like just from yes. place to place to place. Like there's like notebooks, I paper. It. I don't know. It's terrible. Look, I have, I wish I could show you. I have this planner that's like so stupid. It has like stickers and everything. So I was like carrying around all this stuff and I was like, I'm just going to pack up all my things and like go over there. And I was like, I ran over there. And the thing is, he told me he was going to be there. He was like, well, you can just come to my office now and talk to it but i uh-huh. think like okay. by the, by my email response like he knew that he was going to be in big trouble so he didn't answer the door yeah um so anyway long story short i go to <laughs> after that i go to my advisor it's like these if you ever visit northwestern our there's like our school was on the lake but then we were in these terrible house offices like on sheridan road and like the houses are like falling apart they have bugs they're terrible um, so I go to my advisor in our house office and I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, what's his name? Just said, this is the worst paper in the history of all time. And he was like, what? He was like, sit down, sit down. What's going on? I was like, yeah, he just said, yeah. this is the worst paper he's ever read. And he's like, well, how can it be the worst paper he's ever read if I already signed off on it? And I was like, well, I don't know. He's like, well, mm-hmm. you don't, he's like, I'll take care of it. So then he like took it over. So, that's okay. so that was positive, you know? So, so he... You know, he ended up being fine. And like, we're fine to this day, even though I was quite bitter for a while. Because um, it's a terrible thing to say. Some kind of terrible, weird power play. What is that? Well, it's nothing. I think, anyway. I, don't, I, I don't know. I have some, it, it's some yeah. other stuff going on with him for, that I now know. Day. But I do like that story because I think sometimes I'll get a crazy email from somebody. Yeah. And then I'll, I will immediately call them or like go to see them. And yeah. people often are very different when it's exactly. like in real yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, and also, it's just important to, like, put things in their proper place. Like, this is something yeah. that I, you know, I think about a lot because, like, in research, the research that we do is important. It is very important. Yeah. But, but this is, it, it's not life or death, right? Like, yes. it's, it's not something yeah. that we have to um, be petty with each other about. It's not something that we, we, if we don't run our regressions by midnight, like, the world's yeah. going to explode. It's not that. Yeah. So it does not even mm-hmm. have to be all this craziness. <laughs> like, yeah. it does not have to be that. Um, That's real. Yeah. So, okay. So, fit, so pack up all my things. I literally so you put, finish and you're like, I'm leaving. I'm like, I'm leaving. <laughs> put all my things in my Jeep, go home. Um, <laughs> literally, I drove 11 hours to D.C. And <laughs> I actually had a condo that I had bought. So I was like, I'm going back to my condo, put my tenant out. Um <laughs> And then I was looking for a job and then I was very uh, disconnected from the program and all the faculty because I was like, you all have subjected me to craziness. So I'm just going to like do me for a while. So I kind of was like a little bit Mm -hmm. lost for a little bit. Um, So I ended up working in the chancellor's office of D.C. public schools. Um, Yeah, so it was cool. Who was the chancellor then? So it was right when it switched from Michelle Ree to Kaya Henderson. And so I basically okay. built their um, their teacher evaluation system for special ed teachers, um, but realized that I wanted to should probably get back into straight up research. Um, so I moved on to um, CNA, which is a contract research firm. Probably never heard of it because it's not one of the better ones. Um, it's not. And they can, you know, whatever. Um, so did that for a couple of years. And um 
from there, uh, basically, then I went and did some policy work for the state of Delaware. And mm-hmm. when I was doing that, um, I got an offer from the School of Public Affairs at AU to be an adjunct for their education policy class. So American I start University American in University DC? here in D.C. Yeah. So I start doing that and it goes like really well. And I'm like, oh, like I, I actually enjoy teaching. I enjoy being back in the academic mm-hmm. setting. I actually, you know, guess what? Did learn something. Um, this is really cool. So I'm adjuncting and the chair comes to me and he's like, he's like, what are you doing with your life? And I'm like, you know, I actually really don't even know. So at this point, you're, you're an adjunct. You're like a full-time adjunct. No, I'm teaching one class and then I'm doing some work for the Delaware department of education. So I'm I'm helping them to build another system basically, or I'm helping they passed a bill and I was, I was helping them like do some data stuff or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but meanwhile, this, at this, at this time, I'm still like publishing like a couple of papers, like, you know, here and there or whatever, which is actually amazing if I think about it in hindsight. Impressive. Yeah. yeah. It's not easy to do. Um, okay. So the chair comes to me and he's like, uh, yeah, what are you doing with your life? I'm like, I don't know. Um, and he's like, well, <laughs> seriously, he's like, well, we have these postdoc slash lecturer positions. He's like, if you want to come back into academia, those turn tenure track all the time. So I'm like, okay, now, so, that's a lie. They do not turn tenure track all the time, but it was an, an on ramp for me to get sort of back into research. Right. Um, so I moved to AU full time. And so that was the past, uh, three years. And then I've been here at urban two years. So the crazy part though, is that I moved to, to AU with this expectation that the job would turn tenure track because I sort of had that handshake agreement with the chair, the chair, Mm -hmm. the, a week into me being there, um, the chair goes to, gets arrested for setting fires and stealing pills. What? <laughs> That's what I was saying. The story, it gets, it just on? escalates to being crazy. It's very crazy. So I'm like, setting well, damn. Where? He was, um, so basically he was like stealing like opioid, like, you know, or st- stealing things like oh. opioids and, um, like Cialis and stuff. And he was setting fires as like a diversion to break into it don't make it doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so he's like gone so i'm like well damn that was supposed to be like my connection like if a job opened up he's supposed to like shepherd me through this process or whatever so what else happens okay so <laughs> it's, it's a great story it's it's like scandalous it's like everywhere i go is a freaking scandal um so so that happens um but in the meantime i am able to sort of get my research agenda going again Mm -hmm. um so we get um i get this paper on um teacher teacher student race and discipline that's out that's like now like you know, the fifth most read paper in the, that particular journal for 2017. No. Um, we have our long-term race paper that I managed to get out while we're there. And just just sort of getting back into like the education research community. And so I'm, I'm very grateful yeah. for the time that I spent there um, because it really did set me up. Um, so, you know, while I was there, I did this, I got into this Emerging Ed Policy Scholars Fellowship, which is like mm-hmm. this great, you know, it's like all the top people um in the field each year so lots of lots of really good opportunities and um uh one of my co-authors was or is on the faculty there he's now tenured he was not tenured at the time um so lots of great opportunities it just was never going to turn tenure track just because that does not happen and so mm-hmm. i would i would definitely give advice to people that are seeking tenure track jobs do not take like a lecturer job or a you know get a tenure track job if that's what you want to get um mm-hmm. because it's not it just rarely happens and they don't even see you in that lane. And then you have a heavy teaching load. So you can't do as much research as you'd like to do. Yeah. How much were you teaching then? Girl, um, I had a two, two, two load. So wow. yeah, it was crazy. So the first year was one, two, one. That's what they got me to sort of get in the door. Um, and then the second year was, two, or the, the second two years were two, two, two. Um, so it was like way too much teaching. And I also, yeah. um, I taught quant. 
And uh, so mm-hmm. I taught quant, I taught education policy and social policy. Nobody wants to take quant from a black woman, period. So that was like miserable. Like my evaluations were terrible. Yeah, what were your vows like? Oh, so 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 in econ, so so sorry, in education policy, it would be like, we love Constance, this is the best class I've ever taken yeah. at AU, like la la la. Like I would get nominated to like come to this the barbecue, the graduation. Girl with the quant, <laughs> it would be like, um, I'm not certain she's even qualified to teach quant. Like she, Sounds they should, so they should get to me. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, they, she should, she should mm-hmm. get some training on how to teach. Or I had, um, the, the very first semester I taught it, it was very rough and tumble because I had these students from the school of ed at AU who were a little bit older cause they were like TFA candidates. So it was some kind of like joint thing and okay. they were so rude and disrespectful and it would derail the class. And up until that point, mm-hmm. I had never experienced anything like that. So like yeah. we would be in lab and um, you know, there was this one guy, he would just be talking over top of me or like if somebody would ask for help, he would like go over and help. And I'm like, well, I thought <sighs> they paid me to be here. I don't know. So it was crazy. Um, so, you know, that's just another thing that, you know, women and um, women of color have to deal with with those evaluations. And so the thing is, when you when you are in that kind of position, evaluations is a primary way that they sort of decide whether they're going to renew you or not. Um, so, for example, there was another um, black woman they brought on in that same sort of like postdoc lecturer role who taught a quant class. I won't say exactly what it is, but it was a quantitatively oriented class. And like she got derailed by that very early. Like, you know, it just didn't go well. She felt very frustrated. Um, And she had actually, and she had taken off like time, like full time to like raise kids and stuff. So she was trying to get back into, Mm -hmm. into, to academia and it just like kind of went down in flames. And I was like, well, this is like Mm. patently unfair because I mean, the research shows that we're we're not going to do so great on those evaluations. Anyway, so I did that. Um, and so it, be- it became obvious that that was not going to turn tenure track. So my current boss um, just like literally emailed me one day out of the blue and was like, can you come present your discipline paper at Urban, which is mm-hmm. where I work now? And I was like, sure. And then it, he was like, you should come work for us. And so that's how that happened. <laughs> so a very winding road, <laughs> crazy road. <laughs> Did you, had you thought about working in a, what do we call it? A research organization? Yeah, like right, right. Um, so the funny okay. part is I actually interned here many years ago, the second year of my master's and then the summer after the first year of my PhD program. So I knew it was an option. I mean, I, I, I had sort of thought that I wanted to get a tenure track job. Um, mm-hmm. but, but at the time that I would have been looking, I didn't have, um, all of these like publications that I have right now had not really like come out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then, you know, maybe I was selling myself short. It wasn't the strongest application, I don't think. So. And so you've been in DC most of your life, it sounds like. I have. Yeah. So, um, from up until college, then uh, three years after college, then I was in the shy for five years, and then I've been back for eight years. A lot of people feel like that's a hard part about being an academic. Mm-hmm. This idea that it's hard to like find a job in a single place if mm-hmm. you want to move jobs, if you want to move up, but like stay grounded. Has that been an intentional decision, or you've just had a lot of opportunities in the area? So yeah, so there are opportunities here, but I would say that um, I have gotten recruited from places all around. Uh, mm-hmm. but for the past few years, I've been like, well, I don't really want to move or whatever. So I would, I would have to wrap my head around moving. Yeah. Um, but this past year, uh, like a lot of my work got a lot of like press and stuff and people are really into mm-hmm. it. So I'm like, you know, if I, if something crazy comes through, we'll see, <laughs> but <laughs> it, it is a nice, like, would you like, yeah. Do you have a lot of family around? I do. Yes. My whole family's here. Yeah. Um, like cousins, everybody. So. Which is, you know, a blessing and a curse. And do you feel like, like, what what is your, like, social life and your relationship status? I know a lot of our people in season one were, like, married with kids. Married to men, specifically. (laughs) Yes, Um, yes, I am not married. I do not have any kids. I I live, I would, 
I live probably close to like being Mary Jane. Do you ever watch that on BT? Uh, I have seen being Mary Jane. Yeah, yes. yeah. So it's probably more more similar to that with like the dating and all that stuff. <laughs> There's or, a lot like, of drama on it. There's a lot of drama. Like, or like Sex in the City or something. I don't know. Like I go to happy hour. <laughs> you know, like I go to like happy hour and jazz and stuff like that. So. <laughs> <laughs> what are the pros and cons of being like single in an academic career that you've observed in the different Yeah, settings? that is a great question. Seen? So I would say, and actually I just got over this lately. Um, is that I have now dropped the expectation that anybody I'm dating is going to care at all about my research. Um, maybe mm-hmm. that's sad, but uh, it just is not. So I'll give you an example. I was dating this guy and um, this is when our discipline paper, like it went like viral or whatever. So I did mm-hmm. NPR for the very first time. I had never done NPR. You were nerd famous. I was nerd famous. Right, right. So I came, I, we were hanging out that night. So I'm like, oh my God, like I was on NPR. Like, this is crazy. You have to listen to this. I had like downloaded it onto my phone yeah. or whatever. Um, <laughs> it was very earnest. Like it was like an earnest reaction for myself, which now it's kind of funny because yeah. like I do, I mean, a lot is, no, I do a lot of NPR exciting. stuff. But yeah, I was like, oh, I, I'm on NPR, like la la. And so I had gone to get him, I had gone to get us food and I like brought him some food or whatever. And um, in the middle of all this where I'm like downloading about how it's really cool because the paper came out and then I was on NPR and then la la la. <laughs> and he's like, well, did you get sauce for the nuggets? And I was like, well, well wait what? a minute. I'm trying to tell you about how I was on NPR. <laughs> and you worried about some sauce for some, okay, all right. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so I've dropped the expectation that the men that I'm dating, well, I mean, it's nice if they like knew, but then also I find like, I've never really wanted to date uh, somebody else in the field. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's funny, Kemi and I have this joke about like the trailing spouse. Like I don't really have the desire to be the trailing spouse unless it was like somebody super yeah. famous, but um, with lots of money, maybe. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like not in education, not in like trying to help people like some engineer who like, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's like a yeah. defense contractor. Or something. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. So no, it, it is interesting. Okay. It is interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. My husband's an academic in a really different okay. field. So he doesn't uh-huh. understand exactly what I do, mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. he can get like if I was on NPR, he would be like, "Whoa!" Right, right, he would right. Be yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, it, NPR cred is only—it doesn't really translate. So. Doesn't translate. All it doesn't the translate. Like we were. Um, um, are you- I was going to say we were cited on uh, Malcolm Gladwell's like revisionist history podcast. Ooh, yeah. But there's only like ten people on Earth that would get excited. I mean, people are excited about it, but like, it's definitely not something that like make like I wouldn't put it in. I don't have Tinder, but I wouldn't put it in my Tinder profile, right? Like, whatever. <laughs> I mean, that you maybe you should put that in your Tinder maybe. profile. Like, it would winnow, winnow true. the audience. That's true. That's true. That's true. Yes. <laughs> um, are you uh, religious or spiritual at all in any way? I am. I am actually. I am a Catholic who is very annoyed with the Catholic okay. Church, um, but I do have a really uh, a church that I like that I go to here. But it's actually I used to go there when I was little, so it's kind of cool to be back and 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 go to that oh. church. Yeah, yeah. Do you think your faith influences your work in any way? Um, that's a good question. So yeah, it totally does, and um, because I definitely view like um making education better for kids is like the thing I'm supposed to be doing. And I think that, um, the ways in which, uh, my research has had an impact feels like it's sort of, I don't want to call it my calling. That's dramatic, but maybe it is. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it definitely plays into that. I mean, since I sort of got interested in like social policy, public policy, I'm always thinking about the ways in which like, you know, can we make the world a better place? I know that sounds like corny, especially in today's day and time. But um, yeah, so I think it's totally. Somebody's re- got to do it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's totally related. Um, yeah. Um, and you have kind of touched on the topic of mentoring, oh, yeah. <laughs> being mentored <laughs> yeah. in all of your stories. But yeah, I have the I didn't lack know if I could of mentoring. Kind of bring it together. Like, what do yeah. you think you've learned about mentorship That's a based great on your question. experiences being mentored and mentoring? Yeah. So I would say, so I would say a few things, and I've actually been thinking about this because like, so I have a, um, an African-American research assistant that works, um, she doesn't work solely with me, but she's on our team. 
extremely talented, um, young. She also has the the bachelor's in econ and is going to go do a ed policy PhD. Um, and so, uh, so she doesn't need any mentoring in terms of like, um, like the academics, like the straight up, like the material or whatever, anything like that. Like she's, she's yeah. very talented. Um, but I, I try to be very open with her about like, here are the things that you're going to face as like a black woman in this profession. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, for example, so we had a paper, we had a MBR working paper that came out and mm-hmm. um, just like nerd famous, it's nerd famous. Right. Exactly. And uh, I got all these crazy emails from black men. Like, um, saying things like, you know, oh, you did things, things ranging from you didn't cite me and you need to like cite. (laughs) Right. Can you imagine? (laughs) Can you imagine? Would you even have the time? We literally a dean of a college of education emailed us to be like, you did not cite me. If I'm ever the dean of a school of ed, I'm going to be at the casino. I'm not going to be worried about (laughs) if somebody some research associate from the urban institute cited me so that or like they they sent me things about like well why are you writing about black people with white people because i guess you can't have white co-authors um all kinds of crazy stuff so i but i just show it to her because i'm like well this is the crazy stuff you're going to deal with if you're going to be in this field um or even we discuss um there's you know lots of how do you respond to those emails do you respond or do you just delete Oh, I, I go off. Um, well, it depends. It depends. So, so, yeah. I, so the, the, there's one particular one where like the guy was like, it, it seemed like the initial email was kind of like earnest, like, okay. here's some questions I have about the paper. Here's some things that I think that you mm-hmm. guys didn't really capture. Also, here are some okay. black people that you all need to work with. And I was like, well, um, you know, if you had read it, there's like this whole section that deals with what you're thinking about. And also I am black. Yeah. So, um so then he emails me back and he's like or he emails all of us back and he's like well it just seems like uh dr Lindsay's voice is not really obvious and when white people write about black people topics it causes harm to the black community so then i was like okay well now i have to th- there's nothing that i would participate in that would cause harm to the the black community yeah. and this particular paper like the take home point is really that you should have more black teachers so it's not like some controversial mm-hmm. thing um yeah. so it was just a very bizarre reaction and i'm like do y'all email black man academic x yeah. and tell him that he needs to be citing me i, I just yeah. would never even whatever yeah. so i keep it real with her about that and then i keep it real with her about mm-hmm. um just you know like you know there's things that happen and i think these happen in all kinds of workplace settings where you know to be a black woman in any field you have to do like twice as much to get half as far um people are elevated in ways that they should not be um you will may or may not be elevated so you really have to have a strong sense of self-worth which honestly i had Mm -hmm. it's taken me a long time to get to that that place so it's not like some Mm. obvious thing that i've always had um but just you know sort of keeping it real about what the field looks like and how crazy Mm -hmm. it can be because i know people like you know i have a friend who um has a doctorate from poli sci from Columbia and it's completely mm-hmm. out of academia. She's going to law school now. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. that's a lot of investment. Um, it's a lot of yeah. talent that we're losing because people are, yeah. you know, treated really terribly in the field. So. Mm-hmm. And so with your mentee, does this make her not want to pursue an academic <laughs> no, route? Like what's the moral gonna of the story? It. She's going to do it. But, okay. but someday she's like, really, really? Is, do I have to do it with <laughs> 30 years of this? I'm like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. But how do you go, how did you go about developing that self-worth? Like, do you think it, yeah. what advice would you give to people who are working on that? That's a great question. I think it's really important. Yeah. Well, I think emotional maturity. Um, so it's not like I, um, in my 20s, I don't think I, I, I clearly had the same intelligence I have now, but I definitely did not have the confidence in my ideas and in particular the I didn't embrace my own voice right so you know a a funny part is that this paper that is like so the paper that I have that's the most famous now is a paper that Mm -hmm. I wanted to do as a part of my dissertation my advisor was like oh no don't do it it's already been done well isn't that something else (laughs) 
That's a good story. Yeah. So, yeah. but, and, and I have lots of other things like that where I never pursued it or I never mm-hmm. developed it because I didn't really have the faith in my own voice. And I'm still working on that, yeah. like what exactly my voice is. And in particular, you know, I'm, I'm in an interdisciplinary setting. So having that voice is really important. Um, but I would say that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing is just like believing your own voice. Like if you can get into a PhD program and you can do this work, like, well, if you get in, that means you, you, you have the capability to do it. Right. And so mm-hmm. it's just really important to sort of honor, like, what is my voice? What do I want to say? What do I want to do? And honestly, you're going to yeah. get more radical in that over time. Like, you know, you're going to start mm-hmm. off. You know, I started off thinking about like, well, I just want to do work that closes achievement gaps and sort of, you know, helps like low income black kids to be middle class socialized. And now I'm like, you know, let's just (laughs) burn it all down. (laughs) The phrase burn it all down comes up a surprising number of times in our interviews. (laughs) In the podcast? Yeah, yeah. Let's just burn it all down. Because that's how you evolve to over time, because you realize like a lot of it is it's it's BS. It's BS. So. <laughs> so what do you think people are going to say about your work in 35 years? Like, what do you want? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I would say if I'm able to sort of keep doing um, the work in this area that I've been doing, I think people, mm-hmm. I think I could point to areas where I change some conversations and that makes me excited. Um, I think, you know, so like I said, so I, I guess I would put myself in like the economics of education field. And Mm -hmm. there just aren't any black women at all, uh, really. There's one other girl who I'm actually working on a paper with who does higher ed stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, There's maybe like one to two more people. But like, for example, I got put on um, the editorial board of like one of the top journals in the field and they didn't have any black people at all last year. And it's like it's education. So, education. <laughs> education. Yeah. But everybody, everybody's claiming that they're trying to close achievement gaps, right? But you ain't got no black people on the board. Yeah. So I would say, you know, if if also I could sort of change the field a little bit to to bring mm-hmm. more folks into the field, and then also just change some of the conversations. So I'll give you an example. Um, one of the big conferences in our field is called uh, APAM. It's like Association for Public Policy Analysis and Management, and. Okay. Um, I was a the reviewer for a couple of the papers in the session and they had, you know, they're doing all these like fancy methods to think about um, like what are the impact of like suspensions on kids and like mm-hmm. how much time do they spend out of school and is it causal and is it this and is it that? And I was like, well, let's take a step back from all that. Like all that stuff is important, mm-hmm. but let's also think about the fact that when you put somebody out of school, it has an impact on your life, right? Like yeah. Trayvon Martin was on a 10 day suspension for for having a bag of weed when he got killed so it's not some it's not just an academic exercise what you're finding right like these things have implications for people's like lived experiences and so you know to the extent that i could push that conversation for folks i think that 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 i will definitely have made a difference we do have this one question okay um is academia a dream a scam or a game like, is it oh, a dream life? Amazing. Is it yeah. called a scam or is it just a game you got to play? So um, that's a great question. Um, uh, I don't know. I, so I'm not fully in the scam crowd. I don't think it's a scam. Okay. I don't think it's a scam. Um, now, what are the other two options? Dream or? Dream or game. Game. Um, it's more of a game than you would think. Right. So I would say so speaking of mentors and actually this is a good a good point. Um, I mentioned one of my co-authors who is a white man who's actually been one of the best mentors I've ever had, Um, even though he's like my age, because he's he's always like. The, the things you're doing and the choices you're making are suboptimal, right? Like you need to think about this from like my <laughs> perspective. Like you know what I mean? Like you need to think about this from like my perspective, like what's the best for you? You know, you need to be thinking about like publishing in this particular journal or whatever. And I did not have that orientation. Right. And so, um, but that's, to- it's totally a game and it totally is people <laughs> Um, not to use an overused word, but it's totally people like colluding with each other, right? Because it's like once you get in with a particular crew, you're good. Mm. Like if you publish, you're publishing with particular people, or you're in particular yeah. journals, and you're going to particular conferences, it it can turn into that dream. But you have to get your way in there, and if you're not like a part mm-hmm. of like some dominant group, 
where it's obvious, getting in there can be like, you know, it, the door. It, yeah, right, right, exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> so, like he was just saying, like just like strategically, like where you publish the kind of topics, exactly the kind of like exactly. Here's the things you need yeah. to do, like. Um, you know, very good advice. And I think that, you know, what's important about that is that there's like clearly not enough of me to go around. I cannot mentor every young black woman in this field. There's no way, even though people email me all the time. Um, and I, you know, I try to email people back, but I think white people can be mentors to, to students of color. It's just, you have to, and I think they can actually, in some cases be better mentors because they have access to more Mm -hmm. social capital, but people don't realize that, right? Like you don't realize that I can mentor somebody that's different than me. Um, but, but so, but that's been one of the more fruitful relationships, I think. And I'm, I'm grateful to AU for that kind of getting started. Do you think there's a way for young people early in their career to identify the kind of people who are going to be those strong mentors versus the people who might? That's a good question. Yeah. So that's a great question. And I think it's important. It probably separates the people who end up being successful from those who don't. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say, that's such a good question. I would say like people who integrate you into the work instead of treating you as like a subordinate. Um, Mm. So of course, if you're somebody's RA or something like that, there's going to be grunt work you have to do, but like, does it turn into papers? Does it turn into things that you can Mm -hmm. use for your dissertation? Um, Also just somebody who, who is kind, I wouldn't go. So having worked for like very famous people, I wouldn't even work for famous Mm -hmm. people. Like I would, I would look for somebody who is, um, pre-tenure or close to being tenured who who wants to grind and write and who mm-hmm. is close enough to grad school that they will um sort of have have they'll be able to sort of relate with you about like your process um I actually would avoid famous people if possible I mean it's good to work with somebody famous but then you know I also know how I also know people who that's kind of backfired on um in terms of they mm-hmm. didn't get time or even later on they weren't able to get tenure because all their papers were with somebody famous and so the question becomes yeah who, who, who was the intellectual leader on the project so you talking about um some of the positive white mentors you've had as well makes me think about um somebody we interviewed last season rena pasek um whose career a lot of her career has been about um increasing work um diverse workforce and cancer control mm-hmm. and she's like really known for it mm-hmm. and she's like amazing um and she says there's other white people who are always coming to her and being like oh like how can i like do what you do and she's like i'm not really interested in you doing what i do i want to train up like minority scholars to lead right. the projects yeah. no it's fine yeah. i was just i'm like oh Rena. yeah it's it's true <laughs> you have to like you know um w- Basically, we had something that happened here at work where um, it was like an issue around diversity or whatever. And I was like, I'm just going to go to HR and like talk to them about this. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I went to them. But then I was like, at the end of the day, somebody way higher than me has to like set some priorities around this stuff. Right. Like I, I cannot. This is not my show. I cannot do yeah. this work. Somebody at the top has to like make this a priority and do this and make this happen. And yeah. I don't have the social capital to do it. And I shouldn't have to be expected to do it at this point in my career. Somebody else has to do it. Mm-hmm. So, no, I think that's a, that's a great point. And I think people just need to be explicit about it. Like, this is what I'm going to yeah. do. And this is my commitment if we really want to get to where we want to be. I love it, Constance. Yeah. Thank this you. This was fun. I love it. So awesome. many gems. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Academes was produced by Whitney Robinson, Mara Bookbinder, and me, Sarah Birkin. Our editors include Logan Castrodale, Jeremiah Murphy, and Cece Huffman. We get administrative support from Val Hooker, Tamara Hewson, and Molly Horrock. Our artwork is by Melissa Hudgens at Leafy Greens Design. Mm-hmm.